Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for his husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers has heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Dear God, what am I doing up here? You know. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. I was born into a, a don't family. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't use your body loosely, don't gamble, don't, etc. But for good reason. Each of my parents have been battered, bruised, and beleaguered by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Which is why they made a beeline to the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. They fled to him, their only hope, salvation and refuge, and remained there, stalwart, for the rest of their lives. But our don't household largely cut us off from the culture around us, except for the Sunday New York Times, which was there religiously every Sunday. But we never went to any of the movies advertised, except for the three or so that could pass as family events throughout my growing up. No secular music in the house, just sacred or classical. No television, whose black and white version back in the 60s was still something of a luxury. This functional separation from the world led to certain jolts along the way, especially in adolescence, certain uh, cognitive distances. One happened on this day, New Year's Eve, during which I traditionally found myself at church, an elaborate potluck at 9 p.m., a ramped up Bible quiz perhaps with upgraded prizes, perhaps a a loving roast of church leaders, reflecting 
worshiping communities, blessings from the past year, hymn singing, worship, an expanded dessert table after midnight, and many happy new years. And those, those two adjectives could be taken at face value. Happy, new. The dissonance began when I catch sight of fleeting TV or movie scenes of New Year's on great grandma's TV. She lived with us the last nine years of her life and died at 102. And I saw how the world greeted the new year. This is back when they inserted alcoholics into plot lines for comic relief. The New Year's goal of everyone seemed to be get, to get smashed. They got drunker and drunker. Their good wishes seemed hollower and hollower. Their slurred, slushed, sloshed versions of Happy New Year seemed more and more like anything but till they seemed to be the total opposite, as far as anyone could possibly get from anything happy and new. Huh. If I was standing for something happy and new, I'd want to be fully alive. I wouldn't want to be disconnected in a fumbling fog unless it actually wasn't happy and new. I was genuinely perplexed. Wasn't an inebriated state for someone heading into misery? Into something painful, agonizing? Like an operation before an anesthesia or an execution? Jesus was offered alcohol on the cross. There will be uh, scriptures up there from time to time that I'll refer to sometimes and other times I won't. Um, unlike Stephen said, this is not going to be an exponent, expositional uh, preaching of Revelation, but it's more of a topical Homily, so I'll be referring to many scriptures along the way. They're up there mainly for note takers, like Harrison Bradley. <laughs> Here are three takeaways from these few uh, words this morning. Takeaway number one on this New Year's Eve <clears throat> apart from God in Christ, there is no such thing as new and therefore nothing ultimately happy. Takeaway number two, the world, the flesh, and the devil can't do new. And boy, are they ticked. Takeaway number three, the means of grace alone forged through the finished work of Christ is the only thing that makes things new and therefore happy.
Takeaway number one, apart from Christ, there is no new. Well, this has been true since the very beginning. John writes in uh, his first uh, chapter of his gospel, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So all new began with Christ from the beginning. Then the entire arc of scripture goes on to point out the process that will bring everything to new newness through Christ. This God baby that we celebrated the birth of again six days ago would pay the inexpressibly high price to begin the process of remaking all things new. Release people like you and me from one type of captivity imprisonment and sin, purchasing us, redeeming us for a whole new type of captivity within the perfect community of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, everlastingly locked in their arms of embrace like the prodigal. I could go on. Um, Jesus is said to be the founder and perfecter of our faith. Romans 8 says that the whole universe is groaning, waiting for the revealing of the children of God. What did we read earlier this morning? Behold, I am making all things new. Isaiah, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But, but God didn't only make things new back then, and he's not only going to make things new eventually, he is making things new right now for you and me today. I told the men on the retreat that God's been ripping open my shrunken functional shortcut, my shorthand summation of the gospel of Christ. I had reduced the good news of Jesus Christ to this, to a ticket to heaven. Thank God it is that Jesus did say to the thief, didn't he? Today, you will be in me, with me in paradise. But the gospel I'm learning entails much more than a ticket to heaven. It entails a brand newness possible now. And this is what the enemy of our souls seeks to blind us to. Did I miss that? My favorite verse is anyone in, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the newness that we as sons and daughters of God have available to us today and every day is that he has delivered us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice he said, it doesn't say he will or he is, but he has. It's a done deal. You and I are in a completely new location right now. Which is why the writer to the Hebrews says we have confidence to enter the, enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened through the curtain that is his flesh. I could go on with new things, right? New covenant, new song, new name, new hope. Peter talks about the fact that we've been born again now to a living hope. Or my dad's favorite verse, a new power for each of us. Now unto him was able to do exceeding abundantly, above all we could ask, by the power that works within us. A new way to handle the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that we will all encounter, like Hamlet, right? Counted all joy when this or that or the other thing happens. Okay, you get the point. Only God does new. So the question is, why do you and I spend so much time looking for new in other places? Well, because the enemy of our soul wants us to do exactly that. Takeaway number two, the world, the flesh, and the devil can't do new, and they are ticked. Now, how do I know that they're ticked? Well, because so many of the temptations that they foist on me and perhaps on you, so many of their tactics, their wiles, their carefully designed plan to get us daughters and sons of gods distracted or to turn to the left or the right or backwards in some cases, dissuading, dischanting, discouraging, is, is by what we think of as new. or the lack thereof. The enemy's major goal is to blind you and me to what's new. That's why we even may be tempted to pick up the bottle tonight. Here are four sample lies the enemy has foisted on me. Line number one, there's nothing new. And this is partially true, right? This is a half-truth. The wisest man, right, Solomon? The wisest man, we're told in Scripture, who had the means to try everything the world had to offer, finally concluded and said, there is nothing new under the sun. So it's a half-truth, but beware. Because the enemy of our souls specializes in half-truths. Look at the ones he tried on Jesus in the wilderness. Half-truths are, in effect, lies. One of our enemy's nicknames is the father of lies. If you and I rent any space to this first lie, our 
fingers will be tapping in no time. The atmosphere around us will thicken with boredom. Tedium will spring up like weeds at our feet. Our fuses will shorten. Before we know it, we're climbing the walls. And all because we were duped into believing that a half-true was a hundred percent true. Let's not be naive as we step into the new year. But let's be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Line number two. Different is the same thing as new. No. Different is not new. How many of us right now have been hankering or even toying with something quote-unquote new? If only we had one new coveting, one new fantasy, one new website, one new thought, not taken captive to Christ. Let's pray for one another this year that we're not duped by different. If we let lie number two marinate, we'll be tricked into actually believing that it will offer a new lease on life. Examples proliferate in scripture. Sarai said to her husband, go in to my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Aaron's fumbling explanation to his brother, they gave me their gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. How many classic novels, plays, operas, television shows are based on a miswish that someone must for all true. We all have them in our hearts. Jeremiah called our hearts deceitful above all things. One unlooked for advantage of reaching uh, my eighth decade has been the chance to witness my own secretly coveted and unrealized cravings deeply held despite what my churchified words espoused to verify my life's meaning and purpose, in short, to save me. How these have actually played out in others' lives who did achieve them. The partic particular matrix of the wounds encircling my wicked heart convinced me from adolescence onward that nothing short of fame would offer me any life that would finally make me and everything else worthwhile. Yikes, by this age, how many jolting examples provided by those with whom I cross paths and more recently rooms I've actually stepped into that threw into stark relief the bankruptcy of my alleged savior. 
guidance. Praise God for his mercy. At one point I found myself with access to a dimly lighted office of a beloved celebrity who was away. Against the opposite wall were two multi-shell units of awards. A slew of Golden Globe awards on one side and a collection of Emmys on the other. Statuettes, statuettes my enfeebled acting career had never let me see up close. But there they were, tarnished, dusty. I tried to imagine the din of applause the night they were received. Now, long silent in the dark. Like so many high school trophies, there they sat all lined up with their short-lived newness. My personal golden calves, in a sense. What are yours? Calves onto which I lavished so much life energy now, to my regret. But God, in his loving purpose for me, let me nowhere near them praise his holy name, sparing me all the non-good that their non-newness may have provided as graphically demonstrated by people I know. Line number three. I want the old, not the new. If the enemy can't get us to take us up on his alleged new, he'll get us to moon and mope about long past things. I'm not really picking on the wandering Hebrews, believe me. I'm not identifying with them. But how many examples of the faithless complaining and murmuring can be found in scripture. There is nothing at all for us but this God-given miraculous manna. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? For which old am I pining? For which old are you holding in a white-knuckled grip? Hankering for the old spawns in an embittered spirit in the now, which, whether we realize it or not, is actually a critique of God himself and his ability to love and provide for us. I'm often not as blatant as the Hebrews. I'll try to weasel my way by bargaining with God. Certainly he and I can come to some compromise. I mean, God, why won't you bless my strategy for my survival, my verification, my vilification? 
Jesus used this figure to show why compromise leads to worse problems. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away and makes a worse tear. But the wineskins, both the wineskins and the wine, is lost. In my personal time with him, he's shown me many more times that I'd like to admit that he's not interested in getting under my load that has made me weary and heavy laden. It's as if I'm saying, why can't you bless this ingenious method I've come up with for saving myself, for making my life more significant, more appealing? No, instead he implies that I must put down what's causing me weariness, what's causing my muscles to ache. He's waiting for me and you to let go. We've got to let go. I know this because then he says to pick up something else, which puts me in mind of that standard quip when helping someone move with a bunch of friends, right? You're struggling down a narrow staircase with a very heavy piece of furniture. And someone says, got a match? Take away three the means of grace provided through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone can make new and therefore can make happy. Life is never not a battlefield for the daughter and son of God. Sin does not crouch at the door only on certain days. The lion does not prowl around seeking someone to devour only during certain hours. Paul does not write, when you go to battle, put on the armor. No, have it on, put it on, period. It is a means of grace. These lies and more will not stop coming at us because the enemy of our soul will never not be enraged that you and I are children of God. Such is his commitment to getting us out of touch with the constant refreshment of God's reality. Take the sword, for example, the only offensive weapon that we're offered, defined as the word of God. Is there a day a week, a month, when I haven't opened God's word on my own, your own? I mean, why would I step into any next moment of life weaponless? The word also defines itself as alive. Relationship with anything alive, anything, takes time. I'm kidding myself if I say or think I have a relationship with something alive with which I've never spent any time or spent little time. It's also defined as a lamp of light. If I have no personal relationship with this living word, am I 
actually walking in the dark? Am I suffering from spiritual anorexia? Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We keep physically eating. We make sure of that. Why would I not keep tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Jeremiah wrote, your words were found and I ate them. And they became a joy to my heart. There are many more. I don't have time this morning, but the gospel is full of imperatives. Come now, let us reason together. Come to me, all who labor. Um, draw near to God and he will draw near to me. Let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. Set my mind on things above. These imperatives are to be responded to, utilized, taken advantage of. Any of them. All of them. Through you, through these, you and I can be reconnected to all that keeps being new, brand new, as the kingdom of God continues to crash in from the future on our lives. Take your pick, but pick something. Only you and I know in the privacy of our souls if we're availing ourselves of any of these no matter what our outward show appears. No matter how haltingly, briefly and consistently, try stopping by faith. Picture yourself in the very presence of the Godhead. Why don't we hear more Good Friday sermons on that curtain being torn, right? When he died on the cross, Jesus, what? The Holy of Holies access? Wow. Jesus said, I am the door. Doors are not meant to be admired. They're not the same as walls. They're designed to either provide or not provide access to be opened and to be locked. Doors are meant to be interacted with. They're meant to be knocked on, to be opened, walked through if invited. If we don't, God will. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock a letter to a church in Laodicea. I stand at the door knocking. Will we open that door? There are more means of grace. Our gathering together, but here I'm preaching to the choir. Don't neglect to meet together. There's a togetherness in Christ. The togetherness in Christ brings a newness that nothing else can bring. Though we've all been tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater because this or that worshiping community does not check all of our boxes. I, I get that. The community of faith will surround us, cocoon us, when we face catastrophe, when we scream bloody murder because of the horrible thing that's happened to us. Small groups, for instance, have the capability of sitting with us in our grief, of feeding us, and eventually reminding us that Jesus also said, be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. 
but responding to any gospel imperatives, as we know well from this pulpit, can only be done by God's grace, and never to earn anything. There's nothing to earn. There's nothing we have to do to get him to love us more, because God knows he died for us. What more could he have given? What he wants to do, however, is give us more of himself in the now. That's what he wants. Paul says that weird phrase, I don't know if we got to it in our preaching on Philippians, I press on to the mark of the prize of the upward call in Christ. What is he talking about? We know he's not talking about salvation. He told us that salvation is not by works. The prize for you and me is the newness of God continuing to flood into our lives and to change us at the very core so that his light will then shine out from us to change other people. Our earthly Heavenly Father, like our earthly dads, if we have them, our earthly moms, are, are training us. It's that same Father we pray to in the prayer Jesus taught. I like to picture myself climbing up onto the lap of my Heavenly Father. I've been reflecting on the three lost stories, the lost things in Luke. I notice how different um, that the person who lost the thing acts. Remember the first one, the shepherd leaves the 90 and 9, right? And the woman turns her house upside down looking for the coin. But the father does not do anything to send out a search team for the son in the pigsty, nor does he do anything to grab the elder son by the collar and say, get in here, Brad get into the party. He doesn't do that. Part of his discipline is waiting for you and I to activate. Think of it as the invitation to the party. Remember the parables? I invited people and they didn't come. I know it's hard to believe for some of us in certain situations that we find ourselves today, but God is inviting us to a party to a celebration, to the joy of his love for us. If we take him up on his word, the last thing he'll be is old hat, ho-hum, or business as usual. I'm happy in, in, in closing here to share my verse of 19, uh, I mean, sorry, 19, no, I'm old now, I'm in my eighth decade. 2024, my verse for the new year is Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, Jim, look, Liberty, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth now. Can you see it? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.